Welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some great YouTube content, stories and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy music, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people these days do like to share their opinions, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin.com. That's cock spelt with a K. And I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. The website also has Spotify playlists of all of the songs used in each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. I've also put some small playlists of the great, lesser-known artists that I feature at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, rate, and review the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Before we get into it, I want to thank a few people, Nick Priest, Chris Dash in America for a review, Telecaster Steve in the USA for a review, Carl Lewis, the drummer, not the runner, for a review too. Thanks, guys. One of the small benefits from the endless lockdown last year was the amount of time I was able to spend with my dog Rodney. So that inspired this episode. So this one's for Rodney the R-Dog special. Episode 17, Animal Artists. I'll pop them into three very loose categories. Category 1, Zoo and the Water. Category 2, Around the House. Category three, canines and other beasts. And there'll be no mention of any bird bands because we covered those in episode 11 and 12. So check that out if you haven't heard it. First up is a great Aussie song from Kevin Parker. Hear Kev talking about this 70s era Lennon infused no chorus monster. We played it like six years ago in a completely different form. It was like a different song almost. And uh, we played it for like a few gigs ages ago and we completely forgot about it until now, until like a year ago when we recorded it for the album. It's one of those songs where we just sort of had fun with. It wasn't really meant to be, um, to have this really kind of super serious, you know, pop chorus structure, which is going to be like bang one verse and then bang the next verse and then like some crazy solo and then some other crazy solo and then end you know we were just gonna have fun with it basically. i knew it was gonna be this kind of like fuzzed out glam rock kind of sound but with like 
Daft Punk drum sounds, you know, like this real kind of I realized the other day that there's no chorus. It's just verse, verse, solo, solo, solo. No, verse, 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 solo, 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 verse, end. <laughs> for us, it's like, that's not gonna be a hit. You know, there's just no way. And so for us, our, our, our um, the fact that we're so certain of that, we just, that's, that's our reality. We're like, well, it's not a hit. <laughs> and I get two rabbit hole points for name and artist qualifying for the episode's topic. Elephant by Tame Impala. Special mention to the White Stripes. They have an album called Elephant, and here's my favourite song off it, featuring Bart Simpson on the drums, the hardest button to button, the White Stripes. I've never seen him happy. you watch where you're drumming sorry white stripes no hard feelings let's kick his ass here's alex turner talking about the arctic monkeys first number one like when we had his number one single and mm. i bet you look good on the dance floor and like i remember i remember that moment quite yeah we, we, yeah, quite vividly, just to repeat vividly again for the second and now third time, <laughs> folks. Um, okay. In the pub in High Green, we all as friends, and, you know, I've, I've, prob- I've reflected on that story sufficiently, I'm sure. But uh, we, you know, yeah, this, so these moments like that, I remember mm. the sort of roar that went up in the pub when they, like, came on, the, and it was like... Yeah. Well, I suppose it was the number two record that got revealed. Yeah, and then, and then you knows, were... Right? That's yeah. It. yeah, so... And sort of that moment, probably, with the s- single, suddenly began to be, like, out the window. Like, mm. you just don't... It's like, well, who knows now? What's mm. what's next? Mm. I bet that you look good on the dance floor, Arctic Monkeys. Stop making the eyes 
surprise at me, I'll stop making the eyes at you. What it is that surprises me is that I don't really want you to. And your shoulders are frozen over your an explosion. Your name isn't real, but I don't care for sand and light in the fuse. My results in a bang, but my bang go. This next guy qualified for the list, then took himself off the list in 1991 by dropping the animal nickname in his name. Here's his super shy wallflower drummer talking about learning his song versus chops lesson for this 80s hit. I was making American Fool with John Mellencamp, the toughest record I've ever made. Took a year, uh, people got fired. I got replaced for a second there with a drum machine. I felt like I was fighting for my life. I'm in the studio. At Cherokee Studios on Fairfax off of Sunset here in LA and we're recording and I remember walking in the song was called Hurt So Good and I played purposely left-handed instead of right hand on the hi-hat and left hand on the snare when we were learning the song I switched because I was trying to learn how to play simple in order to dumb my playing down instead of practicing everything left-handed you can't do as much technical stuff the first time I played that beat when John was demoing the song, he went, what's that beat you're playing, man? That's cool. Why haven't you ever done that before? And I was thinking, well, I've done that for two years, but it's been this way. John heard or felt the difference. So this was a big deal for me to record Hurt So Good in a big major studio. I'm the most important record of my life. And I'm listening to it, and I'm so I'm nervous, you know, playing left-handed, executing. I go back and listen, and they're blasting it through the speakers. And then, bing, a light went off in my head. As I was hearing the drums played back, and they had all the other music in the background, the drums were up, and I went, wow. I can feel it. I can feel what I was thinking. I can feel what I was feeling. I can feel life. And I went, that's a trip. How, how does it go from me into some sticks, onto a drum, through a mic, cable, to eventually a tape, and then they play it back and you can catch the image, of the emotional image? That's crazy. Jesus. Thanks, Kenny. Let's all take a second to praise whatever Lord you dig for blessing us with your arms, your sticks, and whatever else. Kenny Aronoff. John Cougar Mellencamp, Hurts So Good.
while we're in the 80s, my next choice is from a fictitious band from a movie. The actor's face really matched the voice of the singer in my young ears, and I really love the 50s vibe rock and roll songs. The singer, John Cafferty, wrote all the songs for the movie and also included some songs his band had released before the movie. This one's for my buddy Gaz Bowen. On the Dark Side from Eddie and the Cruisers by John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. It's just, hello, is it me you're looking for? That's it. Carmichael, he walks in. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Okay. All he had to do was say, yes, and continue on. He said, finish that song. Finish what song? He said, well, you got to finish the song. I said, hello, is it me you're looking for? Now, I've gotten away with Ceylon and Three Times a Lady. And I'm thinking now by that time, they've got me paranoid of hokey. I'm thinking, hello, is it me you're looking for? They'll throw me out of the business if I try to do this. And of course, I'm now writing the song to finish it, to make him happy. But I'm not thrilled about it until I write the lyrics. Now the lyrics, the story fits perfectly with the chordal changes, but it's now in lush form. We have more strings and more orchestra on top of this. I spent the entire music video trying to explain to Bob Giraldi one thing. First of all, his story was that the video is going to be shot with all these two people hugging and kissing through the whole movie. It's going to be great. He walks in and says, I'm going to make the girl blind. You're going to do what? I'm going to make the girl blind. Okay. Because I wanted Bob Giraldi. He is the ticket in terms of videos back in that time. If you want Bob Giraldi to do it, let him have his way. So we're now doing, she's gonna be blind. And now I get to the set and the whole thing is built on the fact that she's now doing the, the bus. And I walk in and as soon as I see the bus, I'm going, oh my God, we got a problem. The bus does not look like me. So I'm now talking to Bob and we're doing setup number one. Bob, excuse me, I just saw the bus. It doesn't look like me. I, I know, second setup. Bob, before we get started, have you seen the bus? It doesn't look like me. Third, fourth setup. I'm, I'm now panicking because the last setup is that scene. So I go, Bob, doesn't look like me. Now it's time to do it. So now I'm looking at it. I'm standing next to him and say, Bob, 
doesn't look like me. He looked at me and said, she's blind. And I said, oh yeah. <laughs> it's a very loose link to squeeze that guy into our animal topic. But the song is some golden cheese, so here's Hello by Lion Al Ritchie. I've been alone with you inside my mind And in my dreams I've kissed your lips a thousand times I sometimes see you pass outside my door Hello very hard to do an animal episode without mentioning these next guys with one of the biggest selling 80s albums of all. Double rabbit hole points again for band name and song qualifying. The one thing about that song, uh, as opposed to everything else on the album or anybody that's ever been in a band and, and had a song that they've lived with for a while but then ended up rewriting parts of it, I sang the lead vocal to a completely different backing track. It was vastly different. I did the vocal for it in, in Paris. We went to work in Paris. I remember we were there when Live Aid was on. We were there for the Bastille day. And we were working in this little studio. And I did the vocal. We spent a couple of days just experimenting with it and then nailing it down. And then when we took the tapes back to Holland where we went to finish the album off, between Holland and, and Dublin, um, we kind of grew tired of the backing track. But everybody was commenting on how much they liked the lead vocal. So I think it would have been much. just said, well, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to strip all the track off and just leave the vocal playing against the drums. I want you guys to just play underneath and see what you come up with. And totally updated the song to, to the point where it's, it's almost timeless now, whereas before it was starting to age even before it was released in, in its original form. Animal by Def Leppard.
half darkness, half tenacious D, and the remaining half is David Lee Roth. These guys remind us that music should and can be fun, and that fractions and maths are a myth to me. Steel Panther, girl from Oklahoma. Well, I bet you never guessed when you came to the show. You'll be getting on the bus with me and doing some blow. Your mama's in the parking lot and looking for you. She's gonna find you when I'm done, all covered with goo. It's on your box In Oklahoma City You're considered a fox What you have to do For that backstage pass Cause I found a poison Laminate inside of your ass So come on pretty baby Suck my balls all night The driver says we're leaving Come on in light Spit out that retainer And do me right Oh Come on, pretty baby, suck my balls all night. Category two. Yeah, that's it. Animals and other little critters around the house. With one of the greatest voices ever, this guy is our Golden Glory Rabbit Hole winner for episode eight and nine, Name Changes. A lot of the songs I use in the podcast have been with me for so long that I forget how great the melodies and lyrics are. And the sentiment of this song is so beautiful. Cat Stevens, Wild World. Now that I've lost everything to you You say you want to start something new And it's breaking my heart you're leaving Maybe I'm grieving That if you want to leave, take good care Hope you have a lot of nice things to wear But then a lot of nice things turn bad I did this episode a few months ago during lockdown, but I updated a few missing gems this week. And this one goes out to Steve McDonald in America for reminding me how great these guys are and what a great guitarist Brian Setzler is. Stray Cats, Rumble in Brighton.
If there's cats, we're going to need dogs. The next band was created as a tribute to a guy we mentioned in episode 13 and 14's Dead by 40 monstrosity. His name was Andrew Wood, singer of Mother Lovebone. Chris Cornell enlisted Matt Cameron, Jeff Ament, Stone Gossard, Mike McCready and Eddie Vedder to make Temple of the Dog. And here's Hunger Strike. famous interview from 1969. A 14-year-old Canadian snuck into John Lennon's hotel room and convinced him to do an interview with his portable tape recorder and poops on George Harrison in front of John a little bit, the little shit. That interview is loosely known as I Met the Walrus. John, could you please tell us uh, what the situation is with you and um, when you're entering the United States? Uh, a lot of people don't want me in, you know, they think I'm going to cause a violent revolution, which I'm not. And the, the others don't want me in because they don't want me to cause peace either, you know, because peace is big, uh, war is big business, you know, and they like war because it keeps them fat and happy. And I'm anti-war, so they're trying to keep me out, but I'll get in, you know, because they'll have to own up in public that they're against peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we, as, as the youth of, of uh, Toronto, like, what can we do to try and help you? Uh, help me by helping yourselves, you know, and uh, the militant revolutionaries, ask them to show you one revolution that turned out to be what it promised militantly. That's uh, take Russia, France, anywhere they're at it. What they do is they smash the place down, then they build it up again, and the people that build it up hang on to it, and then they become the establishment. Now, you guys are going to be the establishment in a few years. It's not worth knocking it down, because it's convenient to have the rooms and the machinery. The thing is to protest, but protest non-violently. Because violence begets violence, you know, and if you run around wild, you get smacked, and that's it, you know, that's the laws of the universe. And they've got all the weapons, they've got all the money, and they know how to fight violence, because they've been doing it for thousands of years, suppressing us. And the only thing they don't know about is non-violence and humour. And there's many ways of promoting peace. Do everything for peace. Kiss for peace, or smile for peace, or go to school for peace, or don't go to school for peace. Whatever you do, just do it for peace. It's up to the people. You can't blame it on the government and say, they're doing this, they're going to put us into war. We put them there, and we allow it. You know, and we can change it. If we really want to change it, we can change it. Uh, what about that uh, Paul Ringo? George. 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 Uh, we're all four individuals, and George is saying to me, George is doing it in his own way, with the way he goes about his life. It's no good uh, 
standing on the street corner like on peace and then beating up your mates, you know. You've got to try and work your own head out, you know, and get non-violent. It's pretty hard because we're all violent inside. We're all Hitler inside. We're all Christ inside. And it's just to try and work on the good bit of you. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, like I read in the paper that, uh, you know, everyone seems to think that George is the nice guitarist and stuff like that. Um, like, I'm not too keen on George. I like him and everything like that, but, yeah. I have a feeling, you know, that, that you're sort of drifting away from people. You're still, like, sort of like a symbol, you know, for Beatles, like, God, stuff like that. And, but no one in school, like, if you ask them who's your favorite group, they'll say the Bee Gees, you know. Like, I'll ask them, why don't you like the Beatles? You know, they're, they're fantastic, they're great, etc. And they'll say because, um, like, for example, the marijuana charges, they're all, they're all hippies, and they're gone from us. They're dirty now. Oh, I see. Well, those kids, uh, they sound like son of square. They just got to get from under their parents' wings, you know. Yeah, I know. They're, they're like robots, you know. Here's John Lennon again in the 70s talking about a possible Beatles reunion and George's label Dark Horse, which is one of his nicknames. It's a, there's a difference between stereo and mono, obviously, and if you mix something in mono and then try and fake it, yeah. it just, you, you lose the guts of it, you know, and a lot of them lost, lost the, the, the fast version of Revolution was destroyed, you know, I mean, it was a heavy record, and then they made it into a piece of ice cream. <laughs> but never mind, it's all the past, isn't it? Um, I've got uh, a new album here from... Which George, yeah, the, the new label, George's Dark Horse. Dark Horse, yeah. What do you see? A nice looking label, right? Do you see the three of them? Uh, I've seen Paul and George, a lot, uh, Paul and Ringo a lot this year, uh, because they've been over here. Paul was here about a month ago, and I spent a couple of Beaujolais evenings with him, reminiscing about when we were only 38. And Ringo, I've seen a lot of because he's been over here recording. I was just down in the middle of my album. I just took a break and went down and did a track I'd written for Ringo on his new album, and. Then I went to Caribou and sang Lucy in the Sky with Elton John and then came back and finished my album off. So, and uh, Paul and Ringo, yeah, George I haven't seen, but he's coming over in October to rehearse. So I'll go and see him then. Relationships are cordial. Oh, very warm, warm. Very warm, my dear. All right. Are they getting together? Yes, are they getting together? Well, uh, we'd have to be on Dark Horse label the way things are going. Uh, we never talk about it because, A, the four of us have never got into a room together because of uh, green cards and immigration and all that jazz. George and Paul have a little trouble getting in and out of this country, too. And uh, so the four of us have never sat in a room together for three years, although we've managed to get three together in one room. That was Paul, Ringo and me. That was sometime in the summer, in the middle of Harry's album, actually. And uh, so the, there's always, uh, you know, if you say no, it's a negative. They all hate each other. If you say yes, it's it's rolling crawdaddy. Cream says they're getting together, you know, or Harry's bringing them together or something. Uh, there's always a chance we'd work together because, you know, if we see each other, we tend to fall into that kind of mood. But it, I can't see us touring or anything like that. We've never discussed it. I could see us making records, you know, why not? But uh, that touring bit. I don't quite fancy that myself. There's no definitive plans for an no, album, No, 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 no. We're more liable to be inclined to work together in 76 when the contract comes up, I mean, <laughs> to be very commercial about it. I mean, if it, it, we'd be stupid to, to give away anything new that we get paid now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, you've heard it. You've heard it from the Dark Horse himself. And now we're going to play a track from... Uh, 
Magical Mystery Tour, which is one of my favorite albums because it was so weird. And uh, it's I Am The Walrus, it's also one of my favorite tracks because I did it, of course, but also because it's one of those that has enough little biddies going to keep you interested, even a hundred years later. And this is for the ELO freaks. circling back to Dark Horse, George Harrison, I'm going to add one of his classics. I'll start it just before the beautiful and effortless key change where they fade in the drums at about 1 minute 45 into the song. I will edit the end a bit too so we can hear the band drop back into the great slide guitar part. My sweet lord, George Harrison. the Beatles and there's crickets too. Here's Buddy Holly and the crickets with the first song they ever recorded and released in 1957 and it was voted number 39 on Rolling Stone's list of the greatest 500 songs of all time. That'll be the day, Buddy Holly and the crickets. No, it's a lie, cause that'll be the day when I die. 
well You know you love me, baby Still you tell me maybe that someday Well, I'll be through Well, that'll be the day When you say goodbye Yeah, that'll be the day When you Just a quick side rabbit hole on that'll be the day it was also the first song ever recorded by the Quarrymen in 1958. The Quarrymen was the skiffle group John, Paul and George were in before the Beatles. They pulled their money at the time and had the song pressed onto one copy of a 78 record, which Paul later purchased off the band's keyboard player in the 80s. It is known to be one of the most valuable records in the world. And here's a little bit of it here. Category 3, Wild Canines and Other Beasts. I'm going to start this category with a minor hit from the 90s called Feel the Pain. I've always thought the guitar riff was super memorable and original. I also love the double time riff after the verse. Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. been two years since you last came on the show. Now, there's obviously a lot of water under the bridge since then. Where have you been hiding? Uh, well, it wasn't really a matter of choice, Mick. Um, the album should have been out a year ago, March 1986. And in 80, March 80, uh, 86, I got a dreadful sinus infection, which was not drug-related. And it cost, all, cost me all my vocal ability, if there is supposed to be any there, and power and everything. I couldn't sing uh, for eight months, nine months of last year. Right. I had to go in for surgery. That's when I said to the, the members of the group that uh, 
There was no guarantee after the surgery if I would get my voice back. So I would suggested that they find you know, another, band, another band or something because I couldn't afford just to keep, keep things going. But I mean, obviously, I mean, I've just been listening to uh, some of the new album. You sound in great voice again. Thank you. Well, I think uh, hopefully it's better than ever. All right, well, look, I want to talk to you about the new album and all the changes in the band that have been going on in a minute. Right, right. Now, th I'm just watching that video myself, uh, I felt just a bit nostalgic because that line-up there, when it first, Jocosi Powell, Neil Murray, John Sykes, when it first got together... Oh, it was great. Everybody was saying, this has got to be the mm. best White Snake line-up yet. Yes, indeed. What happened there? Uh, just the attitudes changed. I mean, the whole important thing to remember is that when I came up with the concept of White Snake, it was just as a vehicle for good rock and roll songs. It's not the monkeys or Duran Duran. If somebody leaves, it's like a million broken hearts. It's a musical outfit. Uh, and, and that's it. If an attitude creeps in and a personality tend, wants to change what, you know, what I want to go for and any negative percent of attitude comes in, then it's not interesting to me anymore. Right. It's the flexibility of being able to work with some of the finest musicians in the business is always appealing to me. And everybody benefits. I'm not like a dictator, you know, Richard Tater. It's, uh, everybody benefits well, from, I mean, from the success. I think most of the new material on the album, as far as I know, was co-written by yourself and John Sykes. Yeah, when I sat down, John has never been known as a, uh, a composer, and I encouraged him. That's all I can do is encourage and inspire people to spread the wings and fly if they decide, decide to doo-doo in the nest. You know, I'm not prepared to clean it up. <laughs> Tell me about your new single, because already it's rocketed into the top 40 here in the yeah, UK. I hear it's right. doing very well in America. Mm -hmm. Probably just about to break down the doors in Europe. Yes. But uh, it's a very long choice of a single, single isn't it? Well, really? I don't compromise. I don't write singles. You know, it's arranged, the, all of the album is arranged to give Whitesnake a whole new stage show. It's like a live uh, But then show. you get the record company saying, David, don't be mad, you can't release seven minute long They singles. can say whatever they want. You know, I'm a songwriter first, and the songs are all arranged to have legs to walk straight off the disc into the uh, the arenas and the concert halls. All right, good words. So let's have a look at the brand new single from White Snake. This is Still of the Night. Singles still of the night, and just the odd flick there of David Coverdale getting arrested, arrested. by the sex police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? One of my favourite Melbourne bands of all time, A Horsehead. Here's their great song and a triple pointer. Is the song is called Golden Cow off their 1997 EP of the same name, Golden Cow by Horsehead.
just as a public service announcement, these next two are not really songs or artists that I like, but I do want to do a mini episode within an episode about a band that has a technical animal name and another band that has a part of an animal in their name. The first band is called Caninus. And like many of my favourite bands, Pink Floyd, Alice in Chains, Split Ends, they have two great lead singers, Basil and Budgie, both of whom I missed in Dead by 40 as they both have sadly passed away. Both were female pit bull terriers, and here they are with fear of dog, Caninus. usually a fan of the reaction type videos on YouTube, but click over to the Golden Magic page on my website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, to see a dog reacting to the Caninus song. The second band is Hatebeak, whose singer Waldo is still very much alive and a 30-year-old grey parrot. Here's Waldo fronting Hatebeak on their song Bird Seeds of Vengeance from their album The Number of the Beak. This one's for Ross Hetherington. I think you get the picture. Back to normal programming. Next up is a great, possibly forgotten song from the 90s called In The Meantime with some great melodies and huge guitars and a great bass line from their singer-bass player, Royston Langdon. From a band formed in New York City by four guys from Leeds in the UK that happened to have an animal name in their band name. Here to perform a song from their new album, Resident Alien is Space Hog. Song. Be all, be all. 
a real animal, but I'm going to pop them in anyway. A Kiwi band formed in the 70s with a few members that I missed in episode 13 and 14's Dead by 40. Their great lead singer, Mark Hunter, passed away at 44 from cancer, so didn't qualify for the episode, but they had two members die from heroin ODs. Their drummer, Neil Storey, in 1976 at the age of 22, and their main songwriter, Paul Hewson, which happens to be Bono from U2's real name too, also died from a heroin overdose age 33 in Sydney when he was living with the great Paul Kelly, who also had a heroin habit in the 80s. Paul Hewson wrote this song, and it was their first Australian number one in 1978. It is a great song, but I'm not sure our sensitive ears of 2021 would let it pass as a single. Are You Old Enough by Dragon. Another absolute favourite from the 90s from an Aussie band with my favourite singer from that decade. They were and are a great mix of rock and super pop sensibilities. I was and still am a little bit in love with their singer with the great line, I need that like a hole in the head. Here's the baby animals with Painless. You want to feel a little warmth, a little mercy. You want to feel like this is real but it's so cold this time of year. And everywhere you like to go is a reminder You can smell it in the air But this is just being unfair I don't care cause life was never meant to be painless
Baby animals grow up and become animals. The animal's most well-known song is probably their first number one, House of the Rising Sun, and is also the third song I ever learnt on guitar. House of the Rising Sun is traditional and of unknown authorship, and some learned old dudes think it dates back to the 1700s. The oldest published version is mentioned in an excellently titled article, Old Songs That Men Have Sung in a publication called Adventure from 1905. The earliest recording I could find is from 1933 by Tom Clarence Ashley and Gwen Foster. sounds to me a lot like Lead Belly's version of In the Pines, which is better known as Where Did You Sleep Last Night from 1944. Obviously made famous again in 1995 by Nirvana on their Unplugged record. My girl, my girl don't lie to me Tell me where did you sleep last night Come on, tell me, baby in the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't ever shine. I was shivering all night through. My girl, my girl, where will you go? I'm gone where the cold wind blows. Apologies about that. I got a little sidetracked. Back to the animals. Aussie choice here. I'll let Mike Patton from Faith No More introduce the next band. Are you hearing this? What year are we in? Forgive me, but Wolf Mother, you suck. <laughs> Help me. Am I crazy? Can I get an amen? But it's only, it's only like it's only six separate bands out this year. Oh my god. Enough already. Are people that stupid? I guess they are. I don't even have to say it. You, you got ears. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Don't hold back there. Wolf mother, mind's eye. <laughs>
pop in one more wolf, another star of episode eight and nine's name changes. The song I'm going to play received the Grammy Hall of Fame addition to its 500 songs that shape rock and roll list, which means nothing. It sounds like high praise. But as we know from this podcast, lists are stupid, but great songs are great songs. Howling Wolf, Smokestack Lightning. So that's the last of my choices for artists with animals in their name. And before I get to my favourite, I want to add a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists, and today's story is about George Harrison's My Sweet Lord. The song was a huge hit for George in 1971. It was his biggest solo song ever. He was sued by publishers as they thought it sounded a lot like the 1963 song by the Chiffons, He's So Fine. George say that he actually lifted the idea from the religious theme and the call and response from Oh Happy Day, a traditional song made famous around 68 by the Edwin Hawkins singers. jockeys for a long time were referring to the similarity in sound between the early chiffon song he's so fine and you're oh, my sweet lord don't rub it in uh, even though <laughs> well, even though both songs are very different environments lyrics messages yeah. and music too yeah. but in reference to the new album um, story was that you would have an answer to that on the album is well, there such an answer on this album, or something that came from that particular? Yeah. There's a song uh, which is actually it's called this song, and this song I wrote right after that court case because it was it's very difficult, you know. Somebody, you know, you have to experience that situation to really know what you put through. It's really difficult because, in many ways, a lot of songs sound similar to a lot of other songs. But, um, you know, if, 
it doesn't have any value on its own, then okay. But, you know, I, I particularly felt, I mean, I wasn't consciously, you know, aware of that at the time. Although when the record came out and got a lot of airplay and then people started talking about it, I thought, oh, you know, why didn't I realize, you know, because I mean, it would have been dead easy for me just to change a note or so here or there. So I wasn't consciously going out to do that. But, um, you know, it is the thing that we went through in the core case was difficult because they have these huge charts, maybe about six feet square of these three notes going ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and they kept on and on and saying, now these notes here are ding, ding, ding. Sounds like name ding, that ding. And I said, well, look, you know, okay, those those notes, but there's something else to the thing. And particularly nowadays, um, songs, I mean, the recording industry is, um, it's records, you know. It tends to be records. Sometimes you can, uh, you know, there's a difference between a good song and a good record. And I thought My Sweet Lord in particular was a great record. The sound of the record was as much important as to what the words were. And the words and the sound were as important as to what... There wasn't any tune, really. In fact, one of the things we got into in the court case where we had this, you know, really what that song was about for me was... I just heard um, Oh Happy Day, you know, that record had resurfaced. And actually, it's the same changes to Oh Happy Day, but Oh Happy Day goes the other way around. What is the verse? The first part of My Sweet Lord is the second bit of Oh Happy Day, and the second bit of My Sweet Lord is the first part of Oh Happy Day. And it's the same changes as well, and there's another million tunes which have the same changes and the same notes. But anyway, I, I kept trying to say to my lawyers, look, if there's any song that was my sweet lord was a cop off it was uh, oh happy day because it was the spirit of that oh happy day i just loved that record it was fantastic and i was very pleased that you know people were into that and doing sort of spiritual thing that it was a you know appealing on uh, to the masses and uh, i i wrote my sweet lord because of um i wanted to sh to try and get across to people like with Hallelujah is a basic Christian, you know, church gospel uh, sort of thing. They sing Hallelujah, 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 and then my involvement with the uh, Hare Krishna, and it's all incidentally the same, you know, in a way Hallelujah, Hare Krishna. It's, it's the same. So I thought, fantastic, that's how I'll do it. And it was really um, just a thing. We were on. I was on the Delaney and Bonnie tour at the time. And I just thought of the idea, and we really, it was just that answer thing of just singing hallelujah, hallelujah, and all, you know, with about four or five part harmony, and then getting them all to do Hare Krishna. And I thought of the idea of springing Hare Krishna on the public, the unsuspecting public, once they got into hallelujah a few times, then I'd spring Hare Krishna on them. And then they just realized maybe that the two things were really the same, and it's just a combination of, you know, East and West, just a balance. It's an expression of So that's of what faith. came first, and then the other bit was just like scat singing, my sweet lord, my sweet lord. It was just a hook together that. And uh, we had this gospel guy come down. That, you know, I kept telling the lawyers, look, it's, uh, he's so fine, it was not the one that inspired that. Oh, Happy Day was the one that inspired that. And we got this, they didn't, you know, sort of, they never heard it 
they were happy days. So they were, um, you know, just thinking, oh, you know, he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so one of the lawyers somehow phoned somebody from in New York um, to find out a gospel guy. And they were put in touch with this guy. I forget his name. It's really fantastic guy. And they took a copy of um, My Sweet Lord and He's So Fine to this guy and just said, look, if you got time, I want you to go over this and tell us what you think on these. And they called him up on the Monday and he said, they both sound like they're taken from Oh Happy Day. And Oh Happy, and my lawyers were just fell over because I'd been telling them that. Anyway, Oh Happy Day goes back into the 1800 and something. You know, it's just an old, ancient. Oh, so that didn't originate with Edwin Hawkins? No, no. I see. It's an old um, public domain sort of thing. And uh, anyway, this they got him to testify in court. They, the judge never really took any notice of him, but he was called an ethnomusicologist. And a musicologist is somebody who's into, um, you know, just generally into music, but an ethnomusicologist studies music from all different parts of the world. But what influences um, an ethnomusicologist is also like how the weather is in the country where that particular music is or what type of food they eat and the whole culture that goes behind it. And this fellow is great. And the judge was pointing to these big charts saying, now this song here, you know, ding, ding, ding. And this uh, gospel guy is saying, what song, what song? And he's saying, this song here, he's saying, that ain't no song. And the judge says, well, what do you call it? And he says, it's a, that's a riff. And it was fantastic. This was the only one person who really understood where I was at. Of course, they just didn't really take any notice of him. But anyway. But you did. But anyway, so this song. satisfying to a degree. Yeah, for me, it, you know, it, exactly. it made me happy that there was somebody who understood me. I mean, the thing is, for me, I'm not, I don't feel bad about it, guilty about it, because It'd be different if it was the only tune I ever wrote. I've written enough songs and I've, you know, enough faith in myself and I know the motive behind writing the song in the first place wasn't to go and steal some tune. So whatever they say, whatever the outcome, you know, I'm, I'm cool. The lawsuit ended up costing George 1.6 million US dollars at 1976 rates. Lucky he's a bloody beetle. So before I get to my favourite choice from an artist who has an animal in their name, let's just quickly revisit the gold.
So, my favourite animal-based song is from a short-lived band from the 90s from San Francisco who released two albums. The second one is a masterpiece called Spilt Milk. In my ears, it sounds like Queen had a child with Supertramp and it was raised by the Partridge family at Paul McCartney's quirky song farm. In writing and prepping this masterpiece, the two songwriters spent eight hours a day, six days a week from October 1991 to March 1992, writing and arranging the songs. This is the most straight tune off that record, Glutton of Sympathy by Jellyfish. In the breathless hush of 4am In the dark sits a sad cliché Cloaked in the navy blue of slowly fading stars Tell me how this came to be Sleeplessness talk to me She'd sing over and over again Glass face, passing lipstick, cotton spoons, burning jealous pictures of marriages of friends. You never ask to be the glutton of sympathy. She says. Snow vacant page. All the lessons that she. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks to Rob Dean at No Mercy Studio for the podcast music, and Patty Cummings at Finger Me Studios for web and tech help. And as mentioned at the start, if you do think I've missed anything that I like in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, or anything I could generally do better, please send me an email at. The world needs to know my opinion at go fist yourself on Nick Priest's little fishing boat dot cockgoblin at geocities forward slash ebay forward slash poop dot touched by a priest dot aussie dot cockgoblin and I'll get back to you as soon as I finish my paper round. But seriously, if you do want to hit me up, you can get me on Instagram or Facebook, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast, and I'll get back to you. I've been getting some really good music recommendations and and heaps of guitar porn, which has been great. Thanks, guys. And if you are digging what I'm doing, please, please rate and review the podcast on the Apple app. It's super helpful. And steal your mum's phone and do it again. And also share the podcast with any like-minded people. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I still have some sticker and pick packs, so if anyone wants them, hit me up on Instagram. To end the podcast when I can, I'm going to add an example of the topic that I enjoy from a lesser-known band. Today's animal-named episode features a great Melbourne band, Elephant Gun. Sean from the band sent me a vinyl copy of their new record recently. It's called Now to Survive, and it's a fucking cracking and rocking album. 
Check out the Victims tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for some choice cuts from this beast. And here's a song off the new record, Elephant Gun with Mexicana. Thanks again for listening. See ya.